right, but let's just say that I hadn't seen it, and I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. What would you think? I'd think that you're a cinematic idiot, and I'd feel sorry for you. Hello, I'm Monica. And I'm Brad. And this is Cinematic Idiots. Every two weeks, we watch a classic movie we've always meant to see, but never gotten around to. We want you to watch these movies with us, like a movie book club. There's just two rules. The films have to be from 1993 or earlier, and at least one of us hasn't seen it. This week, our feature presentation is the 1980 comedy 9 to 5. We'll then talk about our experiences with the Toronto International Film Festival, and then we'll recommend something to you. And at the top of the show, we always like to remind you that this is a spoiler zone. So as we talk about our feature presentation, tonight's 9 to 5, we reserve the right to spoil the entire film, and honestly, we're going to. That's totally true. So how are you doing, Brad? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, so we watched 9 to 5. Which neither of us had seen. Neither of us had seen, which is shocking for reasons that we'll get into. Certainly. Yeah. More shocking for you than <laughs> that, That's probably true. Okay. But I was the one who put this in your ear that we might want to check this out. I had just seen Clute with uh, Jane Fonda, and I thought, you know, I, I don't really know her. What else? And I went around this time period, and I saw it 9 to 5, thought it was perfect. Kind of put in your ear, you let it sit, and then you agreed with it completely. That's true. And we talked about this a little bit Um last week but one of the things that I am surprised about is I don't even have that much experience with Jane Fonda like I feel like she gave an amazing performance in They Shoot Horses Don't They which is a movie that I love I've seen um, a few other things here and there but I don't have a strong impression of her either and so even Clue was something you know that I hadn't seen and I once had a haircut like her in Clue yes you did she's brilliant <laughs> in Clue that film was excellent it's yeah. a neo-noir which I'm crazy about uh, but also I have really no frame of reference for her. I mean, by the time I started getting into films, she was pretty much retired from films. Uh, she was married to Ted Turner, taking the time off. I mean, she's... Doing a lot of workout videos. Workout videos. Honestly, the real reference I have for her is a Sir Mix-A-Lot song that references her. Uh, that's pretty bad, aside from knowing her as Hanoi Jane. Her as an actress, un- unknown to me, really, until I saw Clute recently, and thankfully, 9 to 5. Right. And we were looking for a couple of films that we hadn't seen that maybe were a little bit different than some of the films we'd watched already. And also a bonus if they were streaming. So just a note that if you haven't seen 9 to 5 and you want to watch it after this, or if you just kind of want to revisit it after Pause we have our conversation. <laughs> watch 9 to but 5. But you, you might be able to get back into it on your local streaming uh, service. So it's good to take a look. So 9 to 5 is a comedy. It it came out in 1980, which was sort of an interesting time for feminism in general and an interesting time for comedy. Uh, there was a lot of kind of strange things happening with comedy around this time. Uh, let's talk about what were your initial impressions of the film? My initial impression, as I said through this film, is generally I'm not worried about what you think about a film. And I don't mean that to be rude. I, I, I love your opinions, but I'm not worried about how my opinion will you know reflect and and kind of work with your opinion, you know, they can be completely separate, and then I love our discussions. But the entire time I'm watching this film, I'm worried that you love this movie, that you think it's the best thing ever, because I really didn't like it that much. I know, and this is a huge bummer. I'm just going to say that, because this is always a film that I assumed that I was going to love. I am a feminist. I love all three women that are in this, which, by the way, we've only talked about Jane Fonda, but it, of course, also stars Lily Tomlin in one of her major roles, and Dolly Parton in her first major exactly. film role um and they're all great they're, all three female leads are wonderful they really hit it it's, it's actually fun to see jane fonda do comedy she does it very well it's very broad which we'll get into and that's an issue for us but 
they're all very good and, and, and full of life and, and immensely watchable, but I spent the entire time just dreading because I just wasn't loving this film. It didn't, I didn't feel it. It didn't mesh with me. It didn't fit with my comic sensibilities. And so the entire time, I'm just like, she's going to love this, and I'm just going to think it's okay. And it's one of those issues where I'm like, and then she's going to think lesser of me for it. So immediately when the film ended, and I'm like, so what did you think? And we were both very meh about it. Oh, I was so relieved. It made me feel so good. (laughs) (laughs) The best thing about the viewing was to feel relieved after the fact that we have a similar feel of the film. I guess I had almost a similar reaction, although maybe not quite as deeply as I had to Heartburn, where in the beginning I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be my jam. Like, there's a song coming across the front that is like super early 80s and amazing. There is, you know, Lily Tomlin. Everybody's wearing like their early 80s, like office wear. Like, Working Girl is one of my favorite movies of all time. There's there's like light elements of Working Girl in the beginning, oh, of certainly. course. And I love that like faux kimono, like that she puts to wear to where she's working and when she has to walk oh around she puts God. on her, her business jacket yeah it's amazing so like all of that kind of stuff in the very beginning i was like oh i'm gonna love this movie and dolly parton's not even in it yet which if if you don't know me very well you may not know um that i am sort of obsessed with dolly parton uh dolly parton is one of my favorite personalities and i'll give her that i think she's a strong musician um but what i mostly love dolly parton is this um personality and like sort of caricature that she wrought out of stone (laughs) you know like she created this thing that embraced uh femininity and sexuality and like trashiness and put it together into something that became amazing um and so i was so excited to see her you know in kind of her first big film role because i also think she's very charming on film Mm -hmm. um and and that this movie is no exception um but you guys, I kind of thought it was too broad. I don't know what it is. There was a couple of scenes that I was really into and that I thought were really fun. And I really appreciated what the movie had to say more than anything else. And we can talk about this a little more as we get going. But I feel like um, there's some stuff about the history of this film and how they put it together that is really compelling. And the fact that they did it in a comedy and so they were addressing... I, mean, I think that's the best way to address like social ills in film is to do it through comedy. Um, and so they did it through something that turned out to be this huge you know uh, cultural moment and people loved this film and embraced it in a really real way i think this film makes some really smart points it's great that it does it via comedy the problem is that comedy is just too broad for me and i think we've it's comedy sensibilities change so much certainly within the last 15 years as we've kind of come into our own and, and you know becoming bigger consumers of, of culture um, but it, like, there's a reason why you, it's not recommended for, for fans of, super fans of SNL to go back and like, you should watch the early years of SNL. Comedy is often very topical. Also, you know, the, the sensibilities, the rhythms are, usually have a time and place. I think this film feels very much like 1980. That doesn't, I don't think, translate to a modern audience, especially since neither of us have seen this film before. Mm-hmm. There's no nostalgia. There's none of that. Oh, I remember when I first saw this and I love this joke. I'm looking forward to this. There's none of that for us. I think that's true. I think if I had seen this film in 1985 or whatever, like I would would still think of this as being a beloved film because it's it's like I mean it passes the Bechtel test with flying colors like the the whole thing is just about these women and the issues that they're facing and how they're not able to get ahead at work and how they're having trouble in their relationships and you know but what they're trying to do is get ahead themselves and figure out ways to do that um it's very interesting to take on some of those kinds of things but then you know, in this kind of broad, like horrible bosses vein, <laughs> where all of a sudden there's this terrible boss that's, 
you know, a stand-in for every societal ill that the patriarchy can push on somebody. Um, and and he's all of those things. He's a and, sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot boss. He's he captures the entire umbrella. yeah yeah absolutely. So so because he has all of that, and there's no nuance to any part of of the the job situations at all like the characters themselves of the the three lead women are a little bit nuanced and it's it's pretty cool about how they address uh slut shaming and some other interesting themes like right in the beginning which would have been pretty revolutionary in 1980 frankly um but so looking at some of that stuff is really interesting but when you start to look at all of the other characters other than those three everybody's just like a cardboard you know, cartoon like walking around, and the message that, that's throughout this film quite often is very, very ahead of its time. We we remarked at the end that there, there's discussion of you know the, the the daycare at the workplace that they've you know it's an entire secretarial pool, the entire office is, is mostly populated by women, and so they've created a daycare facility right there ahead of its time, and it probably was mentioned in 1980, and then everyone put it away for 20 years, and even till today we're still talking about well maybe. You know, with the highest and the largest of tech firms doing something like that. It's yeah, the, way ahead of its time. So at the end of the film, um, the the women have taken control of the company by locking up the boss for weeks and weeks. Um, and so, in, in a truly cockamamie scheme <laughs> that that honestly, if you hadn't, for at least me, if I hadn't already been kind of broken in the film and my and where I was following it and feeling and and feeling the rhythms of the film, this it really goes around the bend for me there. It's wacky. It's yeah. it's meant to be far a wacky too, comedy. Far too wacky because it, you, you can have wacky but you can also, it's hard to have wacky and broad. You've got to really, that's a mixture you've got to really be careful with and over false five. But I digress. But, um, so what happens is of course they, they fix the company by making a progressive place where everybody, you know, can do new things. So there's flex time, there's daycare, there is um, a, an owning of personal space. <laughs> um, you know, like there's all of these things that they put into place, most of which 35 years later still don't exist in the modern workplace. Um, And it's shocking. Yeah, there is something at the end of that where you're like, oh, this is a cultural artifact. And also our society still hasn't addressed most of these problems. And there's a great jab by the the chairman of the board, played by a a wizened uh, Sterling uh, Hayden, when he mentions uh, one last thing, Frank, talking to Dabney Coleman's character, that whole, uh, you know, these all these progressive things you've done, great, perfect, bully. You know, we're going to give you promotion for it. But that whole uh, equal pay thing, that won't fly. Just a great barb, almost a throwaway joke. Um, that, that, that really, that ending really hits at home and is great. It's just the from the beginning to the end, it doesn't. You know, I don't think it holds up as well as we would hope. It's, it's. I think truly, it's just a hold up issue. It's exactly what we said before, where it's a great comedy. It was probably amazing and great for its time. I think it was. Um, with with strong performances throughout, it really is a tonal thing and something that in 2015 is a little hard for me to like stomach in terms of tone. Like, uh, I just kept like trying to get with it and trying to get with it until finally like halfway through I just kind of like gave up like understanding the tone and like just watched the rest of it but um I'm still very glad we saw it because as you mentioned we mentioned Jane Fonda before and even Dolly Lily Tomlin I've just a poor frame of reference for each of these three actresses in their period it's great to have more of a sense of where Jane Fonda is it's incredible that this is Dolly's very first on-screen performance. I'm used to her. When I think of Dolly, I'm not the biggest Dolly fan, but I do appreciate her. I appreciate her as the icon, especially. I know her from, like, straight talk. 
you know, that, that I saw film. Straight Talk in the theater. I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that. <laughs> but I will admit, in doing research on this, I, of course, went down the rabbit hole that is Dollywood. And I'll tell you right now, sign me up. Oh, yeah. We oh, are going to Dollywood going, someday. We're, that next trip will be to Dollywood. I have already dragged you to see Dolly in person mm-hmm. once. And she was very good. She was very, very good. Um, she's She's... A professional um and so she really she she really knows how to run a show she has a lot of outfits she she knows how to do a thing she knows what she's doing and mm-hmm. she does it well so what's funny is as a child my father loved country music and so would listen to a lot of what was called new country back in the day um and so kind of with garth brooks coming on the scene and then it was like alan jackson and reba mcintyre and all these people so we in the car would end up listening to a lot of country radio um and i hated country just hated it um thought everything about it was ridiculous had no interest in it at all not any of these songs sounded authentic to me um so anyway and i lived in texas at the time so lots of people around me loved country and i really it was not something that i was embracing at the time um a little bit later in my life i ended up in high school being in a production of steel magnolias uh with a group of women um well and and girls i guess we were all teenagers at the time and i was the youngest i was a freshman in high school and all these other girls were so much older than me um and i thought they were all so cool and i remember saying some disparaging thing about oh well yeah we can all watch the movie i've never seen it i won't watch it because dolly parton's in it and the coolest girl in the high school the senior uh looked at me and she said do you know anything about dolly parton that woman is a badass feminist and i was like really (laughs) and so like 14 year old me became like the deepest fan of dolly parton based on that one theater show that i did when i was 14 years old and from there i really started to learn about a lot about her and thought about like what she had done for kind of a generation of women who were underrepresented in media and in life in general and this is one of the stories of why uh she ended up in this movie in the first place because what happened was um, Jane Fonda was, of course, very political. Um, She was involved with a group that was actually called uh, Union 925, I believe was the name. Um, And it was a a union made up almost entirely of women who at that time were still definitely the group of workers who were most underrepresented by unions. Um, And so women, by and large, especially office workers and pink collar professionals, um, were making very low wages, were having horrible employment uh, issues, but didn't have a union to back them up. And so it was a group of women who really started out this kind of first grouping of it. And Jane Fonda was really involved with it and really excited about it and wanted to make a movie to kind of deal with some of these issues. So she got Lily Tomlin involved and they kind of thought about how they could put this together. And I'm not sure which one of them, you know, said, okay, wait, this is my idea. We get this new country pop star, Dolly Parton, who had a huge hit back in 1978, just two years before. And then we can bring in a whole other demographic that is actually the people who are working in these offices and doing these things. And they love Dolly Parton. We'll get her in this movie and they're going to come to it too. And this film started off as a drama. Uh, Patricia Resnick did the first dramatic script for it and then they eventually brought in the director Colin Higgins and he punched it up and actually made it a comedy um, and it was you know he's only had a few films he actually wrote Harold and Maude mm-hmm. um, which is br- a brilliant film he'd done Foul Play the Goldie Hawn Chevy Chase film and then uh, he eventually did uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Dolly they, they paired up so well but they're the ones that he punched up and turned it into that but when we finished this film I, I realized, you know, like th- this had such cross-promotional 
feminist pull, but also hit all the different demographics yep. of women and people in America. I turned to you and go, this movie must have made a ton of money. And it did. It was with the number two movie. Number in- two movie of the year after only Empire Strikes Back. Exactly. Which, when I realized, I'm like, oh, Empire's going to be number one. I thought this might make a top ten. This movie was huge. This was a cultural phenomenon, which is understandably why people hold it in such high esteem. Everyone saw it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Deli wrote the song, 9 to 5, um, which she said she would do the movie only if she got to write a song for it, which they said, of course you can it do that. It seemed like the simplest concession that you would be like, <laughs> well, duh. Like, you right. can't do the No, Dolly, you can't do the movie if you don't do a song. <laughs> I will admit, that opening song is kind of the best thing about the movie for me. Yep. That doesn't say much, but... And she goes on and, and works through the songs. They eventually turn this into a TV show, into a musical. It's a Broadway it's, musical now, yeah. It, it, so one of the things we found out in looking at this after it was over was that the TV show was on for like seven years. There was a television Had show. Had a network this. run and then a syndication first right. run. Like 80-some 80, 80 episodes? I don't know how. Yeah. I do not remember this. No, and and I'm sure that's, you know, through our own faults. But, um, but yeah. Yes, that is true. <laughs> I, it obviously existed in a world, but but yeah, it it was a big cultural phenomenon, and part of it was because it was really giving voice to people who didn't have a voice, and you know that, and also there were great people doing good work in it. Oh yeah, Dabney Coleman as the awful boss is great. All three women are excellent. It's a great time. It's it's just a bit broad for us, but I think we're we haven't yet hit a film where we're, we get done and we're like, oh, that was a dud. Oh, we hated that. That was a bit of a regret to even watch. This is not one of those. We're, no, we're happy to all. have been able to experience this one yeah i totally agree so that's nine to five 1980 second biggest film of the year starring dolly parton jane fauna lily tomlin and dabney coleman we also know this is a big favorite of a lot of people that we know and so come on the facebook group and tell us why we're wrong i totally am open to hearing more about why this movie is great so come and school us we know that we might not be right we know this was an important film for a lot of people to see you know their their parents to see their mothers in this film Share those stories, too. We'd love to hear more about that. You know, prove us wrong. Tell us why we're wrong. We want definitely want to hear that. Absolutely. And we want to transition to our next segment uh, into kind of talking a general discussion about our film festival experiences. This year, we are getting to, for the third time, mm-hmm. to attend the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. We attended in 05 and in 09. It always kind of hits in sync with some big life moments for us. Um, but we're very excited. It's been, honestly, the biggest thing for us in the last month, probably the entire summer, as we've planned this and looked into this trip. Um, so we just kind of want to talk about what we're excited about for the Toronto Film Festival. Um, your initial thing you want to state about the, the film festival in general. Well, so we, as, as you said, this has been kind of the third time that we've been to a big film festival. First time we went was in 05. Um, and that was sort of before we were walking around with smartphones in our pockets, at least. Um, uh, you know, and so it was a experience of having to do some research ahead of time but really look through a book and pick out the things that you might want to Certainly, look yeah, at we had, and we see. Had paper schedules to figure things out and to get around we were actually talking to hotel concierges to right, figure right. out what we're going to do. And just Maybe rambling. like pulling a paper map out of your pocket and like standing on the corner like in an old movie. But um, you know now we're in a position where obviously like we have all kinds of access to research both in terms of the city and the things we want to see eat experience in the city but also also of the film festival and the films that we're able to see. So in that, you know, 10 years since the first time that we went, the entire process of how you pick your films, you know, how you get to decide what it is that you're going to see and do has 
has totally changed. And it's a great interactive experience for us. It's been super exciting as we picked out our initial package of films. And even over this last weekend, as of this taping, we're able to finalize our schedule with well, a so few extra things. Let's talk a little bit about how it works. So when we talk about a package, what are we talking about? How you know how do you pick something like this at a, at a film festival? So at a film festival like this, the films, you know, there's hundreds of films, but they're only shown a handful of times, two, three times each. Uh, they're not just running continuously, so they're all and they're all throughout the city at like maybe ten different venues, about mm-hmm. approximately. So they're all over the place, but they may only be playing twice. They may only three times. So you really got to be able to parse out what you can see as you want. So for us, there are huge films at this film festival that we'll never actually see because they're not actually showing while we're there. It's something you just get used to. Um, so the initial thing to do is certain tickets are, are, are lower schedule pricing, some are a premium. There's gonna be red carpet galas. There's extended Q and A's after the fact. Uh, multimedia experiences essentially at some of these and so prices certainly vary what we did was we picked out a a a basic package would allow us to get so many basic tickets for a a reasonable price and then from there months later when the schedule dropped then able to actually put those use those vouchers for actual physical tickets. and so every film festival is a little bit different Mm -hmm. but the one that we have the most experience with as far as major film festivals is toronto and one of the great things about toronto is that it's really kind of like the people's film festival like there's a real chance for just normals walking in off the street to get to see a lot of really great films i love normals i'm a normal (laughs) right well and you're normal too i bet but you know, for people who aren't press or aren't industry, it can be really hard to get into the screenings, particularly at some of the smaller festivals like Con or, well, Con's not a smaller festival, but at like Telluride or Sundance, but at a at a festival like Con or Venice, you know, it's a huge traveling expense, and then it is hard to get into and, and a those, lot of those Those screenings. are fancy swank festivals. Right. Uh, there's, a, there's a much bigger gap from what your regular viewership. What we love about Toronto is, as, as it is a people's festival, we stood in line with people who are Torontonians who just talk about how they take a weekend, the two weekends of the festival, and that's what they do. And they check out the weirdest things, or they check out a certain type of film that's that's up their alley. Because it's it's in their hometown. They love being a part of it. Um, it really does. We've seen famous people. We've sat by famous people. It's, we've enjoyed that experience. But one of the best parts is it's a very open festival for anyone. We certainly would recommend to anybody... If you can get to a film festival like this, certainly do it. It's a one of a it's one of a kind of experience. It really brings out you know the love of film and really adds to a different flavor to it. Yeah, if one of your complaints about going to the movie theater is that you're really sick of people like pulling out their phones or talking through the film or you know not being engaged in some way and that's ruining your experience, like if you've ever just wanted to watch a film with a bunch of people around you who are all just as into it if not more into it than you and like would shout down anyone who managed to pull out their phone during a screening like this is your audience like it's kind of amazing to sit in a giant 500 person theater and know that everyone around you there is like hugely into what's happening right now everyone is keyed into the experience to see something new to see something different and honestly some of the things we've seen in the past sucked oh yeah we've seen some bad movies but the experience of itself just it transcends that where you're actually you know when maybe the director's there to talk about the film or just the energy in the room you know even a bad movie is decent a good movie is great right if you do get a chance to see something really great too it can be transcendent and magical mm-hmm. like it's this kind of thing where everyone's like standing up and cheering at the end of the film you know like it's it's kind of amazing it's just heightened everything that you do is heightened so i would think as a critic it would be difficult because you have to really um, push against this atmosphere of what's going on in the room, but as just a spectator or someone who wants to watch a film, it's a wonderful experience. So for this year, what of the things that we're going to see are you most excited about, and what 
is the thing you wanted to see that we didn't get a chance to get tickets for? Um, well, I'll start with the stuff that I wanted to see and that I didn't get a chance to to get tickets for. And a lot of that, again, is just because of timing. Like these things aren't going to be on right when we're going or um, they're full. It's it's those things that we're just not able to get into. Um, one is the new Charlie Kaufman film, Anna, uh, excuse me, Animalisa. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be any good. Charlie Kaufman is just fun and weird. And I like pretty much everything that he's ever done, you know, just for having a, a good time watching it. There's always something interesting going on. So it would have been fun to see that at the festival. Um, Louder Than Bombs, mostly because it's getting so much attention. Um, it's, it's a film about grief and a film about family and the kinds of themes that typically are not what I'm drawn to when I'm looking for a film. But um, everything I've heard about this film, uh, Louder Than Bombs, has been that it is just stupendous piece of filmmaking. Um, and then The Lobster, which actually kind of came, uh, we had an opportunity maybe to try to get into that one. And we ended up going with a different uh, venue. Zigged word instead of zagging. Right, exactly. And so we kind of missed our chance to see that. And I'm, a, I'm only a little bit sad about that because since then I've really heard what an amazing comedy. Uh, this one starring Colin Farrell and John C. Riley and a bunch of other Rachel people. Weiss. Yeah, Rachel Weisz. Uh, and it's it's supposed to be a really good one. So that's on my list of things. I'm sad that we didn't get a chance to. And that one was a little close. Uh, the Charlie Kaufman, of course, uh, Sicario, the new uh, Emily Blunt, uh, Josh Brolin, and Benicio del Toro film. That one is is on my list of things I would have loved to have seen. Maybe it had a chance. Maybe not. Uh, but there's just so many great things yeah. that you just gotta just move on. And thankfully, with some of these, we'll actually get a chance to. I mean, let's be realistic. In '05, when we went, if you didn't see the uh, you know that strange, weird, small film that you want to see if you couldn't see it at the festival you probably were never going to see it again even in 09 but thankfully thanks internet with capital i like pretty much everything yeah. hundreds of films that they're going to have there we're going to be able to check out in one way or another if even if it's just streaming well and that was one thing that in 09 and in 05 we saw a lot more documentaries we had the opportunity to do mm -hmm. that and this year we don't have a lot of documentaries on our schedule either or any i don't think that's so, because yeah. i don't like documentaries that much <laughs> i only go for you but I do, and they're, so it's they're, fun they're to watch. pity docs is yeah. what, I'm, what I'm doing there. <laughs> and also in 05, we saw um, some big films that, honestly, we could have seen three weeks later, Walk the Line, right. In Her Shoes. Right. You know, I, my favorite of the festival that year was Wallace and Gromit film. I could have seen that a month later, but it was just the, the energy that you get from seeing those films there. It's so much more fun. Plus, then when it they do get released... You have a, a, I think, a more refined opinion <laughs> of the film. Well, I saw it at Toronto, so let me talk about Reese Witherspoon's you, performance. Yeah, you get to be the yeah. coolest guy in your circle of friends exactly. for like one week. Which is all you need. So what films are we seeing that you're excited to see? Uh, I'm excited to see The Martian. I, I've just mentioned like, oh, a big film we can see. As we've discussed in previous pods, we don't get to go to the movie theater very often. Yeah. So the idea of being able to see this, I mentioned this uh, a few shows back. Um, I enjoyed the novel um, a good amount. But I thought it would make a dynamite movie. I'm very much excited for it. I think they've brought up the the, uh, the press information about it. it. Looks really great. The teaser trailer, the trailer itself. Um, I even just saw a delightful mashup between The Martian and Wally, called Watney, in which they use scenes from Wally to recreate the trailer for The Martian. Delightful. Thank you, Internet, for making. I love a good mashup. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very much excited for that. There's a uh, Polish film, Demon, that I'm excited about think that looks really really fun um i'm even excited for the film that you are kind of kind of strong-armed office yeah a taiwanese office uh drama musical 
Yeah. Starring Chow Young Fat. So very I'm interesting. I'm super excited about that. I think we've got a fun little schedule um, in just a very condensed period. It should be great. Um, I, I thankfully I'm not going to think about the things we can't see. I'm just excited about the things we will see. Yeah. And I'll leave you to talk about the big well, thing we're going to get to check out. So other than Office, the other film that I'm really excited to see is the new Rebecca Miller movie called um, Maggie's Plan. Which stars uh, a lot of people. <laughs> there's Ethan, a, Hawk, Ethan Hawk, Greta Julie, Gerwig. Yeah, Greta Gerwig. Um, so there's a lot of folks in it, but I love Rebecca Miller. I've, you know, she hasn't done very many films, and and I've really enjoyed pretty much everything that she's done. So I'm really excited to get the chance to see that. You know, uh, at its well, we're not going to the premiere. We're going to the showing the next day, but it it should be a lot of fun. The other thing that we're going to do is it seems a little weird for a film festival because we've never uh, done this before. Usually we're we're trying to fit in a bunch of films in a short period of time. So we're not going to the extended Q&As and some of the other stuff that they do at the festival. But um, we couldn't really resist this year. Uh, Jason Reitman does a series uh, which are called his live reads. This is something that he started back in, I think, 2011 was the first time that he did one. And he, he started out doing them in... Uh, Los Angeles and then since then has done them occasionally at different kinds of festivals and other spaces Um, what they were trying to do was talk about how when you're doing a film there's a lot of fun that happens at that very first table read when you kind of get all the actors together for the very first time everybody's been kind of working on their part but it's the first time everybody's going to be there together there's been no direction so it's kind of a cold read and everybody's going uh, at that script at the same time and it's always a lot of fun and they were saying you know we should do these Uh, so he got the idea of pulling together some of the best scripts you know that that have been around in the history of film and getting a group of great actors to come together and read those roles and so uh, one that got a lot of press earlier this year was Big Lebowski starring Michael Fassbender um, and a and lot Jennifer of Lawrence. other people and Jennifer uh, Lawrence Montreal yeah. just her last festival where the X-Men movie was filming in Montreal right, and, and right. half the cast I believe Office Martin Space Star, or not uh, Office Space of Silicon, uh, Valley. Silicon Valley yeah like Martin Starr right. does uh, the voice of uh, Jesus uh, yes. Quintera yes, yes. Uh, in that so yeah these are the kind of things that are talked about we, we see in our feed that he's done another live read that looks great they're not filmed they're not recorded they're one off one time one night only right show. And, and so one of the exciting things about it too right because it's not recorded is like the only chance you're ever going to get to see it at least in this particular incarnation is this night so they're doing a live read at toronto a week or so ago they announced that it was going to be uh the princess bride which is a film that of course has a special place in my heart i'm not going to say it's my favorite film or anything but like i have watched it so many times since i was a small kid i know you know it backwards and forwards i actually love the book too i have a lot of history with that and it just seemed like a really good opportunity it's a big touchstone for our generation so for him to pick that it sounds brilliant sounds like a lot of fun and it'll be cobbled together by the actors who actually are going to be at the festival you know either just because they want to be or most likely because they're there to help do press for the various films that they've gotten slowly you know there he released a poster a few days ago on yeah, twitter yeah. he's then now slowly day by day releasing what the cast list is yeah so we don't know a lot of the people yet but we do um know three (laughs) um one is that donald glover is going to play vizini which uh is the wallace shawn character from princess bride um and then gail garcia bernal is going to play anigo montoya which is super exciting uh and then there is a beloved uh canadian hockey player i can't remember his name i'm sorry bud but Uh, um he's 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 playing uh physic yes yes so the the 
the gentle giant who can bring the pain is actually being played by a Canadian hockey player and, and politician and activist. So those three have been announced. Um, a lot of the other ones will get announced over the next couple of days. And that's honestly part of the fun is that seeing those things unveiled and like seeing all the speculation that people have about who might play what based on who's at the festival is really exciting. But usually he also kind of brings people along. Um, he's done the reading of Princess Bride once before. And in it, he actually revealed only at showtime that reading the Fred Savage part would be Fred Savage. <laughs> so Fred Savage came and, on and, and reprised it. And had actual Rob Reiner, the original director yeah. of the film. And, and so- Carrie Ellis did um, Prince Humperdinck uh, at the last one also, yeah, which is kind of awesome. So it sounds great. I mean, just looking through the list of what he's done before, he did an all-female cast reading of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. Just amazing things. A lot of fun. So I think that for us, even though it's not a film, will be a highlight for us for the Toronto Internet. Yeah, we're really excited about it. It's going to be super be fun. Great. And we we certainly recommend anyone, even if it's just the small local film festival where you can go. We first cut our teeth on film festivals at the East Lansing Film Festival. We went to, we're both alums of yeah. State University. So in our later years being at the college, that festival was something that we really love to go to. It's a lot of fun. A small festival it was at the local, you know, it was when one of the actual, like, um, course, you know, the classrooms, you know, like five classrooms in Wells Hall, very small, the uncomfortable seats, but it had an electric atmosphere even then. So certainly recommend to you that if, if there's a small film festival somewhere around you, check it out. It's going to be fun. There's always so much energy to it that even the worst film can be made good. And sometimes it's just fun to go into something like practically blind to see something that's been curated for you where someone else looked at it and said like look this is worth your time this is worth watching and just go check it out it's so different from like succumbing to a marketing plan (laughs) like you really get a chance to do something new certainly and that's awesome so we're very excited to be attending the film festival this year and let's wrap up the show with uh you know slight twist on on with our recommendations for something monica what are you recommending to people Right now. Yeah, really briefly, I just want to touch on the new-ish. Uh, it's just come out in the last few weeks. HBO did a miniseries called Show Me a Hero, which is about um, the kind of desegregation fight in Yonkers in the late 80s. Um, it is David Simon and one of his other writing partners from The Wire um, really looking at this through a six-part series. Uh really affecting, really interesting. A lot of the hallmarks of David Simon, where if you love The Wire, you're going to see a lot of uh, his kinds of themes and also just the way that he kind of dis- or deconstructs, I guess, how government and how the, that kind of policy piece works. It's really, a, really uh, an affecting piece. Also starring Oscar Isaac, who is, of course, you know, if not up and coming already, you know, he's here. He's amazing. Um, and so getting to see him in this kind of role is really amazing. So if you're looking for something to watch, you have access to HBO, definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, I know some people have said that it feels a little slow, but I think the more you watch it, the more you get really into it, and it'll be worth it by and the end. It's full of great performances, even in the small performances. I'm really uh, enjoying oh, yeah. Winona Ryder in her small role. Yeah, yep. Jim Belushi is actually very good. Coming to his own. I know. Jim Belushi. Good for him. So, very good. And my recommendation, uh, you know, kind of mentioning Oscar Isaac, he's going to be in the new Star Wars film. Um, I have to admit, I like Star Wars a lot. I think this has come up before. But that's really like saying that when, you know, we're talking about your music taste, you're like, you know who's good? The Beatles. Like, everybody of my generation likes Star Wars. It's not a big thing to mention you like Star Wars. Well, I love Star Wars, and one of the things I love about Star Wars now as an adult is passing on to our daughter, like, our my love of Star Wars, and trying to bring her into it. Um, for May the 4th, we watched you know the original Star Wars, and then each subsequent day watched one. She was interested in that. My recommendation right now, strangely enough, is the new animated TV show on Disney XD. 
which is Star Wars Rebels. Um, it's the animated show similar to in the vein of the Clone Wars cartoon that came out a few years ago, done by the same creative team. It takes place a few years before the original Star Wars film. The Empire is in full swing. They're tightening their grip. And it's about a ragtag team of rebels who are basically the, the roots of the Rebel Alliance. We've got cowboy Jedis. We've got a young Force user, you know, female pilots, you know, maternal pilots. We've got bombastic graffiti artists who are also explosive experts. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of callbacks. It's part of the new Star Wars canon. My daughter is loving it. Uh, it's the only type of Star Wars she actually cares about. I can't get her to watch the prequels. Not, probably not a bad thing, but, <laughs> you know, I'm certainly really enjoying it. We're rewatching now that the, uh, the Blu-ray and DVD of Season 1 has been released. Season 2 is going to kick off next month as, as we're recording this. But it's a lot of fun. And what I really enjoy are a lot of the little elements um, of design. Um, a lot of the background characters are um, designed just like the Ralph McQuarrie designs. You'll actually see the original uh, designs for C-3PO and R2-D2 walking around as other different droids. Um, ties in you know, both the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy really well, but it's light, it's fun. And let's be realistic, if anyone wants to complain that it's for kids, yes, and as I understand, the Clone Wars cartoon a bit aged as each season. It, it got a little more mature and a little darker as, as that series went on. I imagine this series will do that too, but I'm just going to be that guy who says, if you're like you know, I don't want Star Wars for kids. I hate to tell you, Star Wars is for kids. If you've recently seen this movie, it's a child's movie. Yep. It's brilliant for that. It's for kids. Embrace that. Yes, the main character is Aladdin, and Disney <laughs> is essentially Aladdin, and Disney now owns Star Wars, but I'm going to let it go because it's a great way. It's a great entry. And one of my favorite things that this they've done, and you know, they've of course brought back Billy Dee Williams to do voice work as Lando Calrissian, and James Earl Jones has done a little bit of work as Darth Vader, which is great to bring those back. I think the greatest thing they did was they canonized the meaning it made part canon of the Star Wars universe, the Disney Star Tours uh, ride. Yeah, from that the 80s. is amazing. There's an episode where they have to take a shuttle. The rebels have to, you know, as part of their caper have to take a, a shuttle, not their regular ship, to another planet, and they ride in the Star Tours box ship with the droid voiced, which was a voice originally by uh, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, in the Star Tours ride. They got Paul Rubens to come back and do the voice work in this episode. They canonized it. It makes my ch childhood come full circle. And the fact that my child is enjoying it so much just melts my heart. I love watching it again. Is it perfect? No. It's Star Wars, so just get on board. You're going to love it. Touche. A great recommendation. Thank you. And so that brings us to mentioning what our next movie is. Yeah. What? And so as we said, this is like a book club for movies. We want you to watch along. We want you to get in there and check it out with us. Now we've had, a, you know, I think what I would call some larks, you know, your heartburns, your nine to five, some things, you know, we've had some bigger films, but I think we need to get back to the root that's what, right. Since it's I think my turn. you're absolutely right. And a lot of this podcast is just admitting the embarrassments, much like you did earlier with your embarrassment about Dolly Parton. Yeah. Not only she was. Yeah. Really getting in there and just saying, I'm a cinematic idiot. I haven't seen this. Yeah. So it's my turn to pick. I'm a cinematic idiot. I've never seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Which is super embarrassing, except I also have never seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But for you to not see it, I'm not... 100% surprised by that. But for me, it hurts my soul a little that I haven't seen 
1966 Sergio Leone film, the final film you in the Now with No Name. thing about that is that I actually used to own for a few dollars more on DVD, and it was a movie that I really liked, but I actually never made it to watch. I have seen, I have watched your copy <laughs> of for a few dollars more, the previous Spaghetti Western, like four times. I know. I believe that's how I actually watched it. But you know, I've seen for you know a fistful of dollars a handful of times, um, just never gotten along to it. It's one of the films if I have to put in the pantheon of films that I'm most embarrassed I haven't checked out. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, as we always like to end with, if you had to polite conversation, dinner conversation, you're talking film with your friends, and the good, the bad, and the ugly comes up, what would you say about the good, the bad, and the ugly? Oh, that... To, to be a cinematic idiot. Yeah, To yeah. pass yourself off as someone who's seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would make a veiled comment about uh, how Sergio Leone uh, films involved all kinds of actors who spoke different languages and then were redubbed, you know, in the past. Did you know? I, all of mine are horrible factoids. I don't think anyone would ever be interested in having conversations with me about these films. I know I'm not. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I would say something. I, you know, if they, you're like, oh, good medical, I'd be like, that Mexican standoff at the end. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. There you go. Uh, so join us next time for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So you've been listening to Brad and Monica, your own cinematic idiots. A huge thanks to our producer, editor, and consigliere, Clay Addy, who makes this show run. Without him, it honestly would just stay as an audio file on our computer. Thank you to Tom DJ of Bossman Graphics for our beautiful design logo. I love it. I love looking at it. Uh, if you like the show, please review us on iTunes. Please subscribe to the show. Check us out. Check out our website, cinematicidiots.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cinematic Idiots. Follow us on, come and find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. Uh, tell us why we're wrong about 9 to 5 and what 9 to 5 means to you. Please join us on that. And remember, don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Take care. 